Thank you for listening to Liberty Christian Center's podcast. Let's join guest minister Rob Hunt for today's message. Certainly am happy to be in the house of God this morning, aren't you? Yes. Amen. I, you know, I just love it when uh, I get up here to preach on a Sunday morning and uh, everything that the Lord has laid on my heart to bring in a message has basically already been laid out already. <clears throat> with, just with the words that, uh, that Pastor has, has brought forward and, and Dan and, and Mary all being up here, those are the exact things that God has led me to share about this morning. And uh, I, I just feel like uh, you guys got to quit stealing my sermon notes. <clears throat> so, Amen. Well, I, there is something that, that I feel led to share a story about when I was back at CFNI. Uh, that's Christ for the Nations. I was a graduate in 1999 there. And uh, <clears throat> just as I saw Mary being led by the Spirit this morning, and there's some cool things going on there. I, I, I really love that when, when uh, you just open yourself up to the, the flow of the Spirit like that. And I remember back when I was uh, 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 serving there over the summer, they have a thing called YFN. It's Youth for the Nations, where a thousand kids every week would pour through the campus for a youth camp. So 4,000 kids, four weeks, 4,000 kids. And uh, I was one of the counselors there during that time. I had to work quite a bit during that time, but I remember the fourth week there was this speaker. I got to, I, I had some time off of work and I went in, I got to, a chance to be the counselor. And there's a speaker there, uh, Benny Perez. <clears throat> and we had camp meeting that night, I'll tell you. Started at seven. It was one of those things that, that started and then it went into, you know, two, three in the morning before people even thought about leaving. A thousand kids, all drunk in the Holy Spirit. As the Bible says, belly, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Well, that's what was taking place there. Pastor Benny Perez, he, he spoke a message, is a great message, uh, about Elisha and his, and his confrontation at, at Mount Carmel and about how he confronted the, the prophets of Baal and, and uh, so, you know, drew the line in the sand and he cut the bull. That was the name of his sermon, in fact. It's time to cut the bull. It's t- I wish I could think of sermon names like that. <laughs> it's time to cut the bull. And, uh, you know, he, then, then he pours the water on it and he prays to God and he waits and the fire came down from heaven. This is his four-point sermon, you know, ending with the fourth point, the fire will come down. And he gave an altar call Every kid came up, and he says, I want you guys, all you counselors, I'm like, all right, that's me. Go out there and just pray for these kids. Just lay hands on them. Move through them like a wave. And they were already drunk by this time, just drunk in the spirit, as you'd say. And so I I grabbed a kid. Hi, what's your name, son? You know, as if I wasn't just a few years older than he was. (laughs) I I closed my eyes tight, and I just, I I prayed, and I didn't even get two words out before he's just gone. Where is he? He's down. He's just on the ground. Okay, well, I, I wasn't going to stop there. I just, I found somebody else. And same thing, three, four, five kids, just every single one. I couldn't get two words out before they're just down. I'm like, wow. I, I'm trying not to, I, I'm trying not to, uh, you know, 
get mental about this and compare because, you know, I want to be reverent to the Holy Spirit and stuff, but I'm like, has there been anybody I've laid my hands on that just hasn't, bam, and I'm looking around and there's, it's getting pretty scattered, just very few with the amount of kids that are still standing, the rest of them are just out. God was just moving. The fire of God was going through there. I see a kid over in the corner. He's got seven or eight people around him. They're praying for him. And so, all right, I'm going to go over there. And I kind of elbow my way in. And as soon as I get my hand on him, bam, he's down. And I just kind of shrug my shoulders. <clears throat> Everybody, I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> but you know, what's funny about that is that that happened to somebody who was a little bit skeptical of it at the time. Do you know you could, you could grow up in the church like I did and still be a little bit skeptical about that? I think I heard a sermon at one point, some guy say, you know, that, that slain in the spirit stuff, that's not scriptural. And uh, somehow I just was like, well, yeah, well, is, is it really scriptural? After that point right there, I began to look into it and study it in the Bible. You should do that. Don't take anybody's word for anything. Yeah. This stuff, if it's in the Bible, if you lay your hands on somebody and they rise from the dead or whatever happens, is it in the scriptures? You know, I found that this ter even though the term slain in the spirit is not in the Bible, the principle, it's one of those things where the principle is there. Like the word rapture, the word trinity, slain in the spirit. You know, I found that there was places where people would come into the presence of God and the first thing that happened to them was they just hit the ground. They're staring at the ceiling on their back. I'll give you some references. This is all free, by the way. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 10. I'm giving you the whole chapter. Don't just read a, a verse. Look at it in context. Daniel chapter 10. I'll give you some New Testament examples. Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples were there. It said they fell down. Revelation chapter 1, John on the, on the island of Patmos, God just kind of, I, I think it's so cool. God, they're just going along. God kind of taps them on the shoulder. Oh, oh, hi, it's God. They're down. <laughs> That's so cool. You know, this stuff, this stuff is God. We're one of those churches. You're at Liberty Christian Center here, and we're one of those churches. <laughs> Amen? We call ourselves Liberty for a reason. We... We, I, I believe that that was a, a name that was, that was God-inspired. We were led to call ourselves that because, you know, some people, some churches will look at the scripture that says, let all things be done decently in order, and they use that to throw the gifts of the Spirit out. We take that same verse, and we tend to focus on the first five letters, or the first five words. Let all things be done. <laughs> You got to do them first before they could be done decently and in order, right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Let all things be done. So we're letting all things be done here. Amen? Amen? We are one of those churches. We're one of those word of faith preaching, grace gospel preaching, tongue talking, devil booty kicking. We're all that. Amen. Amen. Liberty Christian Center. I'm glad that we didn't follow some of the crazes 
I just got to go off on a little tangent here. <laughs> Crazes for naming churches. You remember about 10, 15 years ago, they used to have kind of a craze where, for naming a church where it was kind of, sounded kind of like a breakfast cereal, you know, like Grace Harvest Crunch Fellowship, you know. <laughs> and then after that, in the early 2000s, it was kind of, uh, you know, you, you went for like a, a place, like North Point or Cedar Creek Church or, you know, uh, fill, in, fill in the break, Valley Point Church or whatnot. And now, now one, of the, one of the trends in naming churches is uh, just kind of an abstract name like Mosaic or Pertinence or what? Red. red. Yeah, Red. Welcome to our church, Red. You know? <laughs> and uh, we're Liberty Christian Center. Amen. Amen. Those of you who don't know me know that I, I speak sarcasm. So the language is sarcasm. So if, if something goes over your head, just maybe your neighbor caught it, you could ask them to get it for you. Uh, <laughs> those of you who know me, even a little bit, you might know that I like spy stuff. I think spy stuff is cool. That James Bond 007 stuff, that's really neat. You know, he's got the invisible car, and, uh, which by the way, they've actually, they're actually making an invisible car. I don't know if you've seen some of the articles about that. It's not quite to the level of as it was on the James Bond pictures, but yeah, they've actually they, it like takes a picture of the scene behind it and projects it onto a shiny material and it's like invisible. It's really cool. And he's got these other gadgets. He's always getting himself in this, these top secret bundles and and his you know his toothbrush that's a stethoscope and his cool gadgets and like a slice of bread that's a cell phone it, it, it always gets him out of the jams you know i think it's so cool well in the bible there was some spies too they had the iia did you know that the israeli intelligence agency <laughs> Well, there's this uh, top-secret covert operation that they need to carry out, and they sent their top spies. They picked them out. And heading up this group of spies that they were, they were sending were these two guys named Josh and Cal. <clears throat> and they sent these guys out into the, this foreign land to, to do this front line of the, uh, you know, the, we're talking dodging bullets. We're talking, you know, this was really top-secret stuff. And the reason why they were doing this, because they were sent by the, the, uh, the IIA, <laughs> the head guy named Mo, this guy named Mo, who was, uh, <laughs> Mo heard from God. And so he sent out Josh and Cal, and all of these guys, there was 12 of them. I think that they were all named 001, 002, 003. I think, I think Cal was 007. I don't know. But they went out and they spied this land. Turn to Numbers 13, verse 32, or I'm sorry, verse 30. You can read all about this. It's really cool stuff. <clears throat> now, you know the story. They went out, they spied out the land. And they came back, they had this big debriefing session. They got the whole assembly there. They got Mo. They put him before the IIA. They said, all right, guys, let us see. We're going to debrief you. Let's have everything that you saw there. 
So start in verse 30. And Caleb, that was Cal, still stilled the people before the Lord. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. He's talking about the promised land. See, God promised the promised land to them. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, a great place. And he says, it's yours. Go take it. They sent the spies out. The spies came back. They brought their report. Caleb said, it's ours. Let's go in. Let's possess it. We could do this, guys. But the men that were with him, verse 31, the men that, that went up with him said, we won't be able to go up and, and against the people. They're stronger than we are. If we go up, we'll die. We'll be defeated. Have you seen the biceps on these guys? They're, they're tree trunks. They will eat us for lunch. And it says that the report that they brought was evil. They brought an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. Now notice that because these guys did not believe that they could do it, and they left God out of the equation, God called it evil. He said this, is, this was an evil report that they brought. Now they were just doing nothing more than looking in the natural, saying these guys are going to clean our clocks. But God looked at it and said, you've seen all these miracles that I did to Egypt? I brought Egypt down to their knees, and yet you still won't look to me. He called it an evil report. One thing that's interesting, now remember, remember, according to your faith, be it unto you. Didn't somebody famous say that? According to your faith, be it unto you, is what Jesus said. Look at the story here. If you go on to read it, the, the interesting point here is that everybody got what they believed for. The ten spies with the evil report did not possess the promised land. They died in the wilderness. The two with the good report did go in to possess the promised land. According to your faith, be it unto you. The same thing is true for us today. Our victory lies in what we believe, how we perceive, and what we see when we look at the situation from the inside. I've heard somebody say, put it this way before. They said life is only 90%. I'm sorry, it's only 10%. Get my math straight here. Life is only 10% what happens to you. The other 90% is what you do in response to what happens to you. I'm going to say this. I'm going to one-up them and say, life is 100% what you do and how you see and how you perceive what happens to you. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You, you, keep your, you keep your heart right before God. You keep your eyes, what you see and how it enters into you. Jesus says, your eyes are the light of your body. And if they're darkness, they're going to... It's going to fill your body with darkness. If the way that you see things is not right, it's going to affect everything. We need to see things through the filter of, of God's word, of faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen? Amen? 
Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. You see, with Joshua and Caleb, they put their faith in God for a battle that they faced that was on the outside. But now, today, we don't face an enemy that's on the outside. We don't take up swords and spears. We don't, we don't load and, and cock our guns ready to fight the enemy. The enemy that we battle is on the, in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly high places. Specifically speaking, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not on the outside of us, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now listen to this. Casting down imagination, remember that word imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Those two words, imaginations and thoughts. If you look in the Greek to those two words there, you'll see that those two words, imagination and thought, encompass everything that goes on in between your ears. Every fathoming, every plan, every thought, every dream, every imagination, every daydream, every night dream, everything, every conception that you could ever possibly have in your head, that's all right there in those two words. And he's trying to define where the stronghold lies. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know where those things exist? In the spiritual realm. In between your ears. See, if you could get your thinking right, as far as what God has done for you, what he has accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection, and thoroughly flush your mind to think those thoughts, that's where your victory lies. That's where the battle is, that's what we face now. That's where those strongholds are. They're in the mindsets, the mindsets that we have. And it can be so difficult to blaze through those mindsets sometimes, isn't it? To get rid of those mindsets that, that want to come against you and, and are always bringing you down. You know what? One of the strongest mindsets, strongholds that there is to get get through and get rid of? It's the mindset of condemnation. Condemnation is one of the most crippling mindsets that could hinder you in every area of your life. You see, when you, when you think that God is angry at you, when you think that he's waiting with his, light, his lightning bolt to strike you, it's a pretty hard life to live, isn't it? Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to go through a lot of scripture here this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I'm 
I'm just going to read through this briefly. This is, this is Paul's prayer. This is one of the, the, Paul's, one of the prayers that Paul is, is uh, uh, famous for in this book here, the Ephesians prayers. I want you to notice every single time that he mentions the inner man. He points towards the inner man. He points to who you are inside, your mindset, the way you think, your spirit. Verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. How many times did he point to He's constantly saying, in us, filling us, knowledge, the, the inner man. That's where the focus is, is what our thoughts are, how we see things, and the mindsets. If we get that right, if we line it up with what God's word says, that's where the battle is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, <clears throat> I just want to ask you this. Have you allowed what Christ has done for you to change the way that you see yourself? The way that you look at others, even? 1 John three nineteen it says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart does condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now stop right there. Basically, he's saying if our hearts condemn us, which our hearts shouldn't condemn us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. He says even if our hearts do condemn us, God is greater than our condemnation. But he goes on to say this, if our hearts don't condemn us, then we have confidence. Then we have the mindset of faith. We know that we could go up with full assurance that God will answer our prayer, that he loves us, that he wants what's best for us. Amen? That's the mindset that God wants us in. And you see, he's saying here, if there is condemnation, if that's your mindset, God is greater. Do you know that back in the, back in the Josh and Cal days, back in the days of the law, 
the way that it worked is you trust God, you believe in him, you have faith in him, or else, or else things won't go good. But under this new covenant of grace, amen, under this new covenant of grace, where he says, if you believe in me, even if you have the wrong mindset of condemnation, God is greater than that. He causes all things to work together for the good. It's not about you. It's not about what you are able to accomplish. It's about him and what he's able to accomplish. See, faith is easy when you know that God loves you. When you make it about him and his love for you, not about your ability to earn it. Then faith is is simple. But he doesn't want you to have that mindset of condemnation. Let's go on there in verse 23. And this is his commandment. See, he says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, what is the commandment? And this is the commandment, verse 23, that we should believe on his name, believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You see, that's his commandment, is believe on him. Put your faith in in what he has done, not in yourself. We can't boil it down to another list of do's and don'ts. The commandment he's talking about is put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross. Yeah. It's what he has done, not what we can accomplish. Amen? Amen. Right. Everything that you get in life and every, every stand that you take that's going to put you over in life for victory is going to be because of the death, burial, and resurrection, because we believe it and we receive it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you applied the blood of Jesus Christ? We apply the blood of Jesus Christ not because of our ability to earn it. That's grace. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Have you allowed what Christ has done for you to change the way that you see yourself. See, God's spirit moves mightily through no condemnation when we hook ourselves up with that. God wants us to live victorious lives in the spirit, believing that we are a success because he is with us. God has a purpose for you. Do you know what his purpose is? God's purpose for you, it's different for each and every one of you. But ultimately, he wants you through his Holy Spirit to increase Jesus on this earth. Amen? We are the voice piece of God here on this earth. And if we're going around in condemnation, if we ourselves look at ourselves as condemned, what about when somebody comes along that's even we deem even worse than us? I feel led to share a story about, um, well, there was a man named Joseph. And as we, as today is Palm Sunday, where we talk about the, the, uh, the person of Jesus Christ as he made his, his entry I want to talk about this, this place in Jesus' life when he was first born. 
he made his first entry. And he came into the household of this man named Joseph and his wife, Mary. And at that time, there was a census where Joseph had to come back to Bethlehem and be counted in that census. And so with his nine-month pregnant wife, he traveled all the way to Bethlehem, which was probably not that far if he had a car. But back then, it was a, <laughs> back then it was a big deal. He got all the way back to his homeland, and it says there was no room for him in the inn. Now, this is one thing that, that strikes me as, when you think about it, it's very interesting, because this was his hometown. He likely had relatives there. He had friends. I don't know when exactly he left, if he was maybe the, the captain of the Bethlehem boys basketball team in high school or not. I, I don't know exactly where along the line he parted ways with Bethlehem, but he probably had relatives. He probably had friends. You would think that they would make room for a pregnant woman who was about to give birth in their home but he couldn't even find room at the inn to make room for her. And part of me thinks, now this is speculatory, okay, but part of me thinks that if you've got relatives and you've got friends that aren't making room for a pregnant woman, that there might be a reason why. You gotta remember that there's a law that these people were very devout about. And a woman with an illegitimate child and the finger that they would point at her, they might have said, let her go have that baby amongst the filth of, of the animals. That's what she gets. That's what she deserves. As sad as that might be. But if you look at the law as a tool for, as a, as a hammer of judgment, you'll miss the Son of God. He'll pass right underneath your nose. But there is a different group of people, the Magi, who searched the scriptures, and they looked at it for what it truly was, an arrow that pointed them towards Jesus Christ. And they found him. And I believe that that's a, a direct correlation of the way that we need to be today. If we're looking to the law as a tool of condemnation, looking at it as God's final word, hey, if it was good enough, if it was good enough, there would have been no need for Jesus Christ to have come and died for us. And if we could obtain righteousness through it, then Christ's death was needless. We need him. We need to be looking for the salvation that comes through him. Amen. Thank you for listening to Liberty Christian Center's podcast. To partner with this ministry or for any additional information, please visit libertychristiancenter.org.